0: Hey friends, before we get into the show, I needed to share some news with you. Many of you have reached out expressing the level of imposter syndrome, overwhelm, and anxiety that's debilitated you or made you frustrated about being a new leader. It's made you question if this is even the right role for you or that you can do this. And I've been there and I completely get that. So I wanted to talk to you about that really quickly. Because it's not just about being a new leader, it's also about the experience of feeling alone in it. When we question ourselves and wonder, am I the only one who feels this way? Do other leaders actually struggle with it? They seem to be doing it so so fine. Why am I having a hard time with this? Well, this is exactly why. I developed the unapologetic woman group program. After 10 years of experience in the leadership development space as a clinical therapist, I've put my heart and soul into this and created a 12 week container with like-minded women who are committed to growing, but can't shake off the mindset blocks, the patterns and overwhelm that's leading them to be feeling like a failure as a leader. Well, in this program, we're going to address all of this, plus be in a community of other women who are growing together. We're shaking off all the bullshit and conditioning and the shaming that's been put on us as women leaders. And you're going to leave this program ditching the imposter syndrome, ditching the overwhelm and moving into a confident space to lead your team. If you're interested, DM me on Instagram, email me, and let's set up a time to chat because spots are moving fast and it's already half full. Can't wait to chat with you about this and support you in the program. Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe... I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Unapologetic Woman. I am thrilled today to have Melody Wilding. On as a guest. She is a leadership and executive coach for sensitive strivers and an author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Emotions for Success at Work. I'm so excited to talk to Melody because she actually shares a similar trajectory as mine of having been in clinical therapy, being a leadership coach, and she's been doing this for well over 10 years. Welcome, Melody.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I'm so excited to be here. I'd love, you know, first of all, congratulations on your book coming out, Trust Yourself. I obviously have read it and it's brilliant. I mean, it's such a wonderful way of the scenarios, the examples that you give, the exercises, the activities, I mean, everything that you probably do with your clients. And it's Mm -hmm. all here for people to really get inspired from, learn from, and, you know, not feel alone in their journey.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to read it and for those kind words. Yeah. This has been a work in progress for five years. And so it's, it's really exciting that it's almost finally out there. And, and as you said, I really wanted to create something that was more like a workbook that people could really use and take action into their own lives. Since that's one of my biggest pet peeves when I read books (laughs) is this, it's really stimulating. It's exciting, but what do I do with this? How do I apply it? And so, yes, you're exactly right. Even the process of writing the whole book actually forced me or encouraged me to take my coaching process and even think about what it was that I did with clients and put it into more of a a framework and into something that could be consumed more like, like a guide.
0: That's amazing. And you're absolutely right. There's so many books where you're like, wow, I love what they're talking about, but how do I do it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and that overstimulation you get, you get excited and then you feel frustrated right immediately of, Mm -hmm. you know, what am I supposed to do? And you feel like your hands are tied. I'd love to first start with talking about your own journey in your own transformation. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk in the book about how you were always this good girl. You went through Mm -hmm. school, you did, you got your good grades, you knew you wanted to be a therapist. You, everyone was telling you, nope, it's not going to make you that much money. You live in New York. So of course have to take cost into consideration. What was your transformation? What what was your journey as a sensitive striver? And, and I'd love for you to actually explain and define what a sensitive, sensitive striver is.
1: (laughs) Sure. So that's probably the best place to start. We'll we'll go from there. So a sensitive striver is What it sounds like. So it's someone who is both highly sensitive, but also high achieving. So they are someone who thinks and feels everything more deeply than most people. This is about 15 to 20% of the population who has a genetic trait difference of high sensitivity that leads them to pick up on what's happening within them more, as well as everything that's happening around them. So people who are more sensitive are more attuned to their surroundings. And in particular, this sensitive striver type combines that sensitivity, that empathy, uh, being highly attuned to their own emotions as well as those of other people with the striver side. So they are deeply caring. They give their 100% to their work. They're loyal, conscientious, but they have an inner world that's always on overdrive. So because they process more information than most people, they are also more susceptible to stress overwhelm, overthinking, imposter syndrome. So our traits can be amazing upsides and and such a gift, but can also make common workplace situations and professional situations all the more challenging.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I know I felt like that a lot when I was in corporate. And, you know, you feel for everyone else. And what happens is then you take on other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. You feel guilted about, well, I should take care of this. You're so highly vigilant about yes. the way everyone else is experiencing it that you want to make sure that everyone else is okay. And you're mm-hmm. that being highly aware is such a great strength. But yet sometimes it can also be your like kryptonite. And so, yeah. How do you, you know, how, one, how, how do you work through that? How do you mm-hmm. actually help your clients, help everybody work through that?
1: Yeah, well, you actually put your finger on it by saying we're highly vigilant because actually in the book, I talk about this. I have a framework for understanding your qualities as a sensitive striver conveniently spells the acronym strive. Mm. So what's important to understand and where I always start with clients is that, again, your, your traits have tremendous upsides they have probably they are what has made you successful but when you don't have the right tools you're not aware of them you don't ha- know how to manage your qualities effectively or worse you're overusing them that's where they can become a hindrance and so the strive framework i i can go over it briefly cuz it may yeah that'd be great be, yeah so the s in Strive is for sensitivity, which may seem obvious, but this refers more to sensory sensitivity. So really having that heightened nervous system response and that physiological response to what's happening both within and around you. So we sensitive people, we tend to get very overstimulated more easily than the average person, especially when we feel put under pressure. So if we feel as we're being Evaluated, watched, judged, that overstimulates us more. Then we have the T in strive, which is thoughtfulness. So we are intuitive, we're deep thinkers, we're contemplative. But on the flip side, again, if not managed correctly, can lead to overthinking, worrying, indecision, doubt. And many of my clients tend to be very self critical. They're almost Mm -hmm. so self aware that they get in their own way. And then we have R, which is for responsibility. So sensitive strivers are very dependable. They can always be counted on to follow through. They're the team member, you know, is always going to be there. And as you were saying, we can't bear to let people down, but sometimes that can turn into people pleasing. We are very willing to sacrifice ourselves and our well-being for anyone else. Then our fourth drive quality is I, and that's inner drive. So that is that ambition piece wanting to exceed expectations and everything that we do not necessarily to climb the ladder because sensitive strivers really crave meaning impact. They want to make a difference, but they have a strong pull to be the best version of themselves. So, you know, personal and self-development junkies, they have a lot of goals. They love hitting their goals, but this can also on the flip side, look like perfectionism, setting an unrealistically high bar for success or being so ambitious that Again, it leads you to burnout. Then we have vigilance as you were saying before, which is being really attentive to the environment, subtleties that are happening around you. So we're the person that can get a read on a situation very quickly, or, you know, understand how our boss is feeling through their tone of voice or their body language. And we just intuit those things, but constantly being on high alert in that way, it's like having your antenna up at all times. And you're always taking in information, which drains your battery. Not only is it draining, but we sometimes read into things too much, and we may assume that there's danger where there is none, like uh, reading into feedback, for example. And then the last drive quality is emotionality. So, as you may have guessed, you know, sensitive strivers are very sincere, they're empathetic. We have big emotions, complex emotions, positive and negative. So the positive, again, we, we can experience the richness of all of that. We are emotionally in touch with ourselves and other people, but we also tend to have more intense modes of negative emotions, right. anger, anxiety, fear, and we tend to stay stuck in those longer than most people. So I think that's the best place for any sensitive striver to think about starting. And I actually have a tool for, for measuring all of this in my book to get sort of a a quantitative read on where you're at and looking at where are these qualities most in balance versus out of balance up in my life. And that's a really good starting point just to diagnose where these qualities may be serving you or sabotaging you.
0: Wow. This is so comprehensive and it really is, you know, great way to really like when you look at that one person and see that the complexities that exist within them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another piece, right? With someone who's a sensitive striver, someone who's highly empathic and deeply cares. There's so many internal conflicts going on with setting boundaries and Mm -hmm. saying no. So I want to bring back that question of how did you get here? How did you, you know, go through your transformation so that you are able to support your clients?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. I'm I'm laughing because, you know, this entire concept is entirely from personal experience. Right. I am a sensitive shriver, which is why, you know, I'm so able to work so well with my clients and see that in in them because this is my experience and my journey too. So, uh, you know, as you were saying, you know, all my life, I have been more sensitive. And I was told that from a young age, not in a bad way, but just in a, in a very caring way, you know, by my, by my family. And I always tell the story that with uh, Bambi and ET, I was yeah. that kid that cried for days, <laughs> you know, after the end of ET and ET goes home. I just, I was, I was very easily moved. Right. I was very, you know, just affected by everything that would happen around Absolutely. me and took a lot of it took a lot of it in, which I'm sure you can relate to. So knew I had those tendencies, but never really had language to talk about it or never really, I I just, I thought it was weird and that I was defective that, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt everything so deeply. So flash forward, as you were saying in in school, yes, I was your, you know, your classic A plus gold star, good girl, followed all the right steps, got good grades in school, went to a, you know, good college, graduated top of my class, And, you know, came out of school feeling like I had checked all the boxes. I had done everything I was supposed to, yet I still wasn't happy. And after getting my graduate degree, so, you know, I have a graduate degree in social work and went into the field wanting to be a therapist, wanting to work with people. And that was my dream and was quickly dashed from that for, (laughs) for multiple reasons. But a big one was very well-meaning people in my life saying, You know, you can't make money doing that. Really, that's what you want to do. You have a degree from Columbia, and you're you're going to be a therapist, and you could do so much more with that. And really, when I look back at you know my my life, I I had spent so much time listening to what other people thought was best for me, and not cultivating my own inner voice or learning to trust that inner voice. It was a very critical (laughs) inner voice that you don't know what you're doing. Everybody does know what's best for you. Here's what you should be doing. This is the right way to do it and you're Mm -hmm. not doing it the right way. And so after I graduated with my masters, listened, took that advice and got a a very good job. You at a fast paced research center, a prestigious research center in Manhattan. And, you know, from the outside, it looked like I had everything, had a great job, lived in a big city, uh, you know, but on the inside, I was falling to pieces, falling Mm -hmm. to pieces. And it really came to a point where I completely burned out almost to the point of really killing myself. I had ran myself into the ground so much. I was losing hair, having heart palpitations on the weekends i didn't have enough strength to even get out of bed i would just wow. kind of collapse in bed and cry yeah. just because i had nothing left within me and there again there were many reasons for this my my job and my career were not a good fit for me and what i needed as a sensitive person i never knew how to articulate even what i needed as a more sensitive person but it was not that but it was also i had let so many of the bad habits that i had built up over time the people pleasing the perfectionism Overfunctioning, functioning overthinking, it all came to a head and really just left me feeling like an empty shell of myself. And so it was that low point that really was my wake-up call because it was really, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. Something's going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to have a heart attack in my twenties and I can't let that happen. No. And so it, it was really a wake-up call and, you know, thankfully I had so many of the tools for my own training. It was kind of like, everything was right in front of me all this time. I just needed to use it on myself. And I'm sure you can relate to that as well, that you have the keys, you are the
0: holder. Right. It's so easy to teach it to everybody else, but we forget about how to do it to ourselves.
1: Exactly. And so from there, you know, I made a lot of bold steps. I, I, eventually quit that job that I was in, made some pretty drastic career changes to take my coaching practice, which I had been doing part-time or full-time, but really it was more of the inner work. It was the inner Mm -hmm. work on my confidence, on trusting myself, on being able to listen to and value my intuition, on creating boundaries. It was all of that sort of work that was the foundation of what, you know, I think has made me a stronger person today.
0: Wow. That's an incredible story. And definitely I can relate to so many parts of it. And I'm sure everyone who's hearing will probably also say, yes, I totally understand that. And one of the biggest pieces that when you were talking that stood out to me is also about how really relying on other people to help us with making that decision. And I always think about it from that place of, you know, when we have the radio on, we can't think and hear clearly. And all those people are the voices on the radio. So how do we shut the radio off? So we hear our internal self and that can be really hard when we grow up in a society that has things planned out for us. Mm -hmm. you know, and we live in, you know, New York city being like that LA, you know, a lot of the bigger cities where it's like, well, you get a job or you go to college, you get a job, then you buy a house and you do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And you have to hit a certain number if you want to live this kind of a lifestyle, but all of those are decisions that are made without actually taking consideration. What do you really want? Mm -hmm. And, you know, being that good girl and being in that place of like, I'm going to check the boxes, but those boxes who made those boxes mm-hmm. who made that decision, that society, mm-hmm. that's everyone around us. So how do you, you know, get to learn your inner voice? Because that's scary to start saying no to everybody else and start listening to, I'm going to do this. And i sure that as you were going through that process, you know, and you decided to quit their jobs, take your practice of coaching to full-time I'm sure there's a lot of that nervousness that came with it. So how do you along the way, and something that you probably teach your clients to continue to really nurture that internal voice?
1: So in the book, I actually talk about this process because I think traditionally, especially in, in our field in coaching, we have it a little backwards. Mm-hmm. At least I have found for sensitive strivers, because most of my clients come to me and they are so consumed by some of these, you know, th- wh- what I would say are their unbalanced drive qualities. Their drive qualities are so unbalanced that it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, for them to get to a point. Sorry, let me back up. In most typical coaching, we start with well, what are your dreams? What do you want? What's your end goal? What's your vision for yourself? Mm-hmm. And when I say that to most of my clients, they say, I have no idea. I have never thought about that question. I don't even know what success means for me because I've never, I don't know. I've just been fed this certain idea of what it should be like. I don't know myself well enough to, I don't know what I need as a sensitive person. And so when I ask them that question, they're kind of left, they come up empty. What I find working with clients is that we flip that equation. We start by working on their day-to-day habits and things that are keeping them stuck there that are contributing to the stress, the overwhelm and all of that, we free up mental and emotional bandwidth. And then kind of as a a second or third stage, we start to think about, okay, what does success mean to you? What are your values? What guides you? Some of those bigger, more global questions. But I find that when people are in this really unbalanced state, it's very hard to access and answer that. And I know when I was in that state, I definitely couldn't have, couldn't have told you that. And so it makes sense to start on the daily, more micro basis.
0: Absolutely. You know, this is something that even when I work with clients and I talk to them, they, they want to come and they want to, again, they bring that checklist mentality, right? Give me all the activities. I'll do it. I'll work on all my homework. And it's like, well, that's great, but you're not going to get the level of homework you expect to get because mm-hmm. we need to start small. And those subtle changes are what's going to make even a subtle change as managing your calendar, time management, those things, when you free that up, because when you're in constant crisis mode, as you know, Mm -hmm. how are you going to think about the bigger things? Because everything right now needs your attention. And by changing the dynamic that you have with your teams, the way that you, your relationships Mm -hmm. personally, that's where you get to start seeing like, oh, so if I say no, they actually understand what I mean. Oh, Mm -hmm. that wasn't as hard as I thought it was Mm -hmm. and building the courage there. So I completely, completely understand and agree with everything you're talking about with how coaches do it because we've focused so much about write a letter to yourself from five years from now. What is it that right. you want? And it's like, well, if I'm feeling so stuck and I've never been taught to dream, mm-hmm. then how can I even imagine what it is that I'm lacking? Cause all I can think about is where I am right now. So right. that makes complete sense.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I loved what you said about managing your calendar. Because that's one yeah. of the most practical places that I start with clients as well is creating boundaries because yes. so many of my clients are stuck in that mode of over-functioning. They think they have to be the one to fix every problem, to swoop right. in, to be the one to help. It's unbalanced uh, res- responsibility where they have to be the one to just be the hero. And yep. you know they are doing every single job. They are just overly responsible to a point where- They are actually creating a negative dynamic because the people on their team are not getting opportunities to step up. And so like you were saying, saying no, taking yourself out of things. I always have, most of my clients do a calendar audit of Mm -hmm. all the meetings you are in. Are they ones that need to be happening? Number one, are they ones that you need to be in? Or can you delegate someone else to go in your place? Can you make them shorter and more efficient? Because how you spend your time is a repre- is a representation of what you value and how you take care of yourself Absolutely. and all all of your time is just mindlessly going to everywhere and everyone then it's it's really a reflection of you not valuing yourself enough
0: you bring up again such a great oh my gosh i'm loving this conversation because there's that piece about you know as as someone who's really empathic and wants to be there for everybody you know, and I I see this happening with my clients too. It's just like, you want to take care of everything. And like you mentioned, be the hero, but sometimes that can actually turn into becoming the micromanager. Mm -hmm. And then you have this because the mindset is, well, I'm just really caring. I just want to make sure I'm there for everybody, Mm -hmm. but we're not looking at the fact that actually you're not giving them space to grow and you're just creating more followers. And then you're actually burdening yourself with like their work
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and then you're left with doing everything and they're not learning. So yeah. I think that's a really, really great point. I wanted to ask you another question about something really interesting you bring in your book. And I love this because, you know, so you mentioned about the, the, the difference between a sensitive striver, mm-hmm. that they can be an introvert or an extrovert, and it's not uh, linked to being an introvert. Introverts are not mm-hmm. automatically sensitive strivers. Yes. And I really love that because I'm an extrovert, you're an introvert, mm-hmm. but yet that sensitive striver applies to both of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad to <laughs> represent in the introverts over or the extroverts over yeah. here. Cause there's, there's not as many. So yes, the research shows that about 70% of sensitive people are also introverted. So, the, the vast majority, right? But there's still about 30% or more who identify as being an extrovert. And introversion, extroversion are just about where you get your energy from.
0: Correct. So, yeah.
1: someone like me, I recharge and I need alone time. <laughs> I need peace. I need to not be bothered or have commitments. That is how I recharge. Someone like yourself, social interaction, connecting with people, talking with people is what brings you energy. And so that's more of a, of a preference for how you gain or, or restore your energy versus sensitivity is more of that trait difference versus a stance you have towards the world of just processing information more deeply, period. So yes, I I love that you bring that up because most people, that's a myth that most people don't Know that sensitive equals introverted or shy, Th- yeah. and that's you know shyness is m- c- more close to social anxiety. It's more fear based, whereas sensitivity is just a-, a biological trait difference.
0: Right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, I can say that as an extrovert, you know, with the, and uh, and of course having a background in clinical and just going mm-hmm. through that process, but. There's a reason I chose that world as well of going into clinical, right? It's just because of that sensitivity of recognizing what it means, you know, where other people are impacted and understanding human behavior. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But what I think is also really interesting is, you know, when people are in the workplace and when they're just coming into the workplace, and so these are the young entry level, just getting started, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how would you, you know, if you had to give advice to your old self, And you had to tell yourself as a sensitive striver. And like you mentioned, you know, really having that language around what it means to be a sensitive striver in the workplace. What would you tell, you know, your, you know, 10 years ago version of yourself? I think
1: there's two things. I think the first thing I would tell myself is to be unapologetic, which is I was always so self-conscious. I wanted to hide that I was sensitive. I wanted to be someone that was more and assertive. And I had this idea in my head that that was the ideal professional and that was an ideal leader. And that's what you needed to be successful. And I always thought like, oh yeah, I'm empathetic. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Like who cares about that? Right. And now, I mean, you read any sort of future of jobs report and it reads like a, a laundry list of the qualities that sensitive strivers and empathetic people have. It's, it's empathy, it's people skills, it's complex thinking, problem solving. Those are the skills that are most valuable now and are going to be in the future. Yet we're the first ones to downplay them or say that they're not valuable. And then our behavior follows suit. And that, that I think was my problem is that I was, I thought that they weren't valuable. So I acted unconfident and I acted like they weren't valuable. I held myself back. I undermined myself at every turn uh, instead of believing in myself. That's the first thing I would share. The second is that you teach people how to treat you and it's very closely connected, but I think I was such an eager beaver. I wanted to please, I wanted to make everybody happy. So I was so responsive, you know, five minutes and get back to an email. And I created a cycle where I was constantly available and that's what people expected of me. And I was also so overly agreeable, not expressing my viewpoints or speaking up that that's what people expected of me. And guess what? When I had an opinion about something, it wasn't heard and it wasn't listened to because I had trained people to just expect agreeableness from me and that that's who I was. So-
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's at both points. So, so great. And, you know, there's a couple of things that came up there. One is that even thinking about how as sensitive strivers, you know, we downplay our own strengths. And like you mentioned, especially after this one year that we've had in the pandemic and everything that's happened, what do we see everywhere? Empathy matters, be an empathic leader, you know, all of these traits that we have downplayed. Where did that come from, though? Right? Because there is a narrative within corporate America that says bottom line is money, bottom line is efficiency, bottom line is, you know, extroverted leaders are celebrated because they're charming and charismatic and they can have that public presence. Mm-hmm. What I, you know, often say though, is that if we actually look at some of the majority of the most successful CEOs, they're actually introverts. Mm -hmm. They just know how to play the part of an extrovert at times. But if you look at a lot of them, they're actually introverts. But that narrative that we have created with why sensitive strivers, you know, denounce their strengths, talk about that to me, you know, how do you help your clients and through this book how do you help people recognize that this isn't their narrative this is a narrative that was written for them in the first chapter of the book you know i talk about
1: that becoming a sensitive striver is part nature it's part your biology and your genetics but it's part nurture right mm-hmm. it's it's the environment that we're in and and you know this from your clinical work that leads to how we express our va- our various traits and so so much of the shame of being a sensitive striver, which I think being a sensitive striver is a tremendous positive. Absolutely. So, so many people. And I think that's because you and I are much further on our journey. Yes. We're much more empowered. We had to learn. We had to right. learn to. Oh, we had to learn the hard way. Yep. Yeah. And there is a cultural narrative that sensitivity equals weakness. Right. You know, oh, stop being so sensitive. Why do you take everything so personally? Right. You should grow with thicker skin. And so we're getting a lot of that gaslighting and a lot of that messaging from a young age where I know for myself, it made me hide my sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the book, I say, I I felt like I was trained to hide my real needs. And I did that for a very, very long time and only showed people what I thought they wanted to see and what was going to be acceptable for people to see. And that's, I pushed myself to the brink of burnout trying to do that. And so many of us try to squelch that sensitivity as a survival mechanism to fit in, which is, is understandable, but you can't do that forever because once you, if you spend so much time rejecting who you are, that war has a big toll, has a, has a yeah. major toll. You really do create a war within yourself when you do that.
0: When you talk about, you know, um, not being able to express your opinions and your thoughts. One of the things that I hear often is about how, well, I just don't want to create more tension. I just don't want to, you know, there's already a lot of opinions in, on the, on the table. It, it's okay if I don't add mine. Mm. How do you help sensitive strivers and, you know, clients really see that their opinion is valuable, that mm. what they feel, what they express or what they're, the way that they see things is actually a value add. First
1: is a mindset shift Mm -hmm. is realizing, and this has been very empowering for my clients to realize that because of our sensitivity, we tend to be five, six steps ahead of other people. The trait of sensitivity evolved because it was evolutionarily advantageous to have it because it kept you safe because your sensitivity allowed you to anticipate. It means that you're more deliberate in your actions. So you think before you act. Which was very helpful when, you know, back in the day in prehistoric times when you're facing danger at any turn, it was really helpful to have someone in the group who said, wait, let's think about this before we go rushing into this cave. Maybe we should think about this first. <laughs> and so sensitivity is a very valuable trait, but it also means that you uniquely are someone in the group who is likely anticipated eventualities who has been able to see opportunities that other people miss because we have our mental circuitry is such that we make nuanced connect connections. We put pieces together that other people just don't because of our depth of processing information. And so it's likely because of all of that, the research proved that you are likely to have more innovative, original ideas. And some of the most creative people in the world have identified as being highly sensitive. And so even just that often clicks as a light bulb for people to say, oh, maybe, maybe my ideas do have some value. So that would be one piece. Mm-hmm. The second is that I often find that sensitive drivers will talk themselves out of contributing. Yeah. So they will have an idea and then they will hold themselves back and say, maybe I shouldn't say it. No one has said right. it yet. So maybe it's not a good idea. I just, I won't say it. Maybe someone else will bring it up. Right. I don't want to sound stupid. Else- Right. I don't want to sound stupid or uninformed or, Mm -hmm. and then 10 minutes later, somebody else brings it up and you're like, Oh, I should have said it. They said exactly what I said. And so when things come to you, taking the courageous leap to say it and see what happens, you have already tried the other way and the other way doesn't work. So I would just ask listeners to just try the experiment of when you have the idea, you know, five second rule, yeah. share it, share it that time. Because that's where I often find that people trip themselves up is that they don't share early enough and then they get to the end and feel like they're not valued or that they had nothing to share because someone else, their idea was already on the table.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And yeah. that's, that's such a great point because that's happened. I know that's happened for me. Definitely. When I was in corporate there, you're, you're questioning that, well, You know, there's a lot of seniors in the room. If I say the wrong thing, how is it going to, then my reputation going to be, and you worry about that versus, and you start, your attention goes more towards all the self-doubt versus actually focusing on the energy on the actual idea itself Mm -hmm. and articulating that. As you mentioned growing up, and I definitely got a lot of that too. Like you're so sensitive, like, you know, you take everything so to the heart, but how do you help people without having to constantly explain yourself? How do you help people see you for you Mm -hmm. and, you know, how do you build allies?
1: I think not constantly explaining yourself is, is a good
0: thing, but I do
1: think there is value of, I am a big proponent of having initial and frequent expectation setting conversations. And Mm -hmm. so it's really important, especially for sensitive strivers to be having those work styles, conversations with people, new people that you're working with to explain, Hey, this is a little bit more about me, how I approach the world, how I think best, how I like to receive feedback, how, if there's a conflict, the best way to approach me and engage me around that me at my best, me at my worst, (laughs) having those different kinds of conversations puts you forward in a very confident way because You know, yourself, that self-awareness is very compelling because most people are not confident enough to say, Hey, this is how to get the best out of me. And this is how it is. Take it or leave it. This is how I am. I'm proud of that. This is what I know I can bring to the table for you because I have this unique perspective. I see the world in this certain way. Here's how I can help you, your team, your clients succeed at the same time. You know, here's what I ask for in return. In, in terms of how to work with me. So having those types of conversations has been invaluable for so many of my clients because they don't feel like they have to then hide or over explain themselves because they have had a basis. They have a foundation of which to work off of. So if a situation happens, they can go back and say, yeah, remember that initial conversation we had You know, when we first started working together? Here's why the way the feedback came out this time, why it didn't really work for me. So in the future, can we go back To doing it this way. So that that. tends to be very helpful.
0: I think that's really great about setting expectations. And what happens with that conversation is that it also allows a safe space for the other person to also share Mm -hmm. that, okay, well, this is how I operate. Okay, so now we know what to expect of each other because that's the other piece, right? Sometimes as, as someone who is always thinking about the other person, you don't want to show up as this quote unquote, and I hate using this word, but difficult by saying, these are what I want for me. And that's something that someone can typically, or can have is like, well, how am I supposed to express myself and tell and set expectations? Isn't that being demanding? Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, everything that we're talking about is really reframing how we look at ourselves. Right. And it's looking at you know, it's not demanding. It's letting the other person just know very clearly what you need. And you're also helping the other person say, you know, I'm going to share how, how I work best. And I'd love for you to share how you work best. So we can really find that, you know, sweet spot for both of us.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you just said it right there is always letting people know what's in it for them. Yeah, It's clear as kind as Brene Brown says, you know, (laughs) it's helpful for people to know how to work with you and get the best out of you, that's going to make everything that they need more efficient and easier. And to make sure that you don't run into roadblocks or snags or tension and who wouldn't want that? Everybody wants to work with someone in a smooth way. And so really the positioning and the confidence with which we approach the conversation, not feeling shameful or apologetic about, oh, this is what I need. Do you maybe think kind of, sort of, we could... (laughs) Agree on this? I don't know, but if you don't want to, that's okay. It's really coming forth and presenting it in a confident, as you were saying, in an assertive way. Which is, how do we find a win-win here? Right. Because I want to help you, and I want to make sure I get my needs met too.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So well said. And one of the things that you mentioned in your book as well is about how to not fake it till you make it, and how that doesn't work. You know, and and I can see how for a sensitive striver that actually may put on more pressure and more stress. So I want to hear from you. Why is it that fake it till you make it doesn't work for a sensitive striver?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, this idea of, of fake it till you make it, uh, is, you know, try to essentially be something you're not until you are that thing. Right. (laughs) And it doesn't work because you're, for the most part, you're being inauthentic. You're trying to reach some sort of external standards that you were saying before who set these, it's kind of this, this imaginary other that we're trying to please and make happy. And so this idea of fake it till you make it is kind of, well, let me just hobble along and again, make everything look shiny on the outside. So everybody thinks I have it together, but inside I'm falling apart. And I think it's the other way around. I think it's, you have to become it. You have to do that inner work to yourself feel strong and empowered and confident on the inside. And then that translates to your actions.
0: Yeah. And a lot of that also brings up a lot of the heightens that imposter syndrome that, you know, people struggle with or Mm -hmm. feel challenged by. And then when you put yourself in a situation, it's like being a martyr at that point and, you know, asking to feel more challenged. You know, one of the other points that we were talking about, and I think is really interesting is just thinking about it from the angle of as a sensitive striver, as someone, you know, this is something, and, and, and I'd like to hear more about your own personal journey around this, where mm-hmm. as you continue to grow and you are building your career and expanding your business or expanding yourself in the workplace, these aren't challenges that suddenly get cured, you know, mm-hmm. and that they go away. So how do you, at every stage of you, you're finding success, how do you, Work with that mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I, I'm laughing because so often I will have a conversation with my clients around new level, new devil, <laughs> new level of success. You feel like you've mastered so much, and you reach that next level. You get that promotion, and right there comes imposter syndrome again. Yep. There comes overfunctioning or your perfectionism again. Just in you know, it tends to have a different flavor to yep. it, and so. You know, I think that's the beauty of evolving is that you're never, you're never finished. And I think we do have a perfectionistic mindset that if I just do things right, I will tick all the boxes and I will be finished. Then I will be successful and I will reach some sort of pinnacle where I don't need to work on myself anymore. And I've everything solved and I know the answer to everything. And that's just, it's a perfectionistic fantasy that we have and that we lock ourselves into without realizing that. It's healthy. You want to be constantly learning and growing. And not you don't want to constantly be facing roadblocks in a in a painful way, but you do need friction to grow and to reach the next level of your own development. So I always view those things as rites of passage. And it's come it's I've come a long way where that's <laughs> especially in business. Yeah. When when things would happen to me early on in my business. you know, setbacks or or bad feedback or whatever it was. It was devastating to me. Absolutely devastating in part because I was also, my identity was so fused with the quality of, of my work. You know, I, I, my self-worth and my identity were the same thing. Also, I was just, yeah, I was so gutted by those things, but now I've been able to reframe them and come into such a more mature mindset around it to seeing things as a rite of passage. For example, I'll just tell you a story. I, you know, as you know, I'm coming up on this book launch. And so I've been making a lot of investments in my business and not all of them have panned out like I have hoped. Right. (laughs) And previously that would have laid me flat out on the ground and just (laughs) devastated me. But now I'm at the point where I'm able to say, you know what? I don't like it it sucks, but this is the price of tuition to, you know, to the school of entrepreneurship and right? able to have a much more abundant mindset of, okay, you know, this is a challenge. How am I going to earn this back or whatever it is, or get this work done that, you know, this project didn't fulfill. I'm able to so quickly shift into solutioning rather than beating myself up. And that is largely such a, a mindset journey than anything else. I haven't done anything Concrete. It's all been internal, you know, my own thought work around that.
0: You know, the thing that comes up for me as well in that is that as you're scaling, as you're building, and what you're talking about is like that investment you're making and how that can make you feel about like the decisions you've made or how your identity is tied to this, especially as an entrepreneur. I mean, the reason you went into that and doing it is because it is like for you, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, it's like you are a sensitive striver. So helping somebody and seeing them succeed is like a part of yourself succeeding. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about that as well is that, you know, when we are hypervigilant, when we are Mm -hmm. self-aware, the other piece about that is that there's this constant growth mindset. There's Mm -hmm. this constant looking at ourselves like, what else can I improve about myself? How else can I grow? And, you know, at times we have to just accept and say that, you know what, I'm going to pause right now. And I've done a lot of growth work and I need to now just be in this. And yes, there may be a lot of other weaknesses and challenges that I need to work on, but they'll come with time and it's okay. Mm -hmm. So how do you help, you know, that, and that comes with a lot of that inner critic. So how do you help your clients? And, you know, in the book, when you talk about it, talk about how to accept yourself and looking at growth mindset as positive, Mm -hmm. but also being able to pause. Yeah.
1: And you're, you're getting at what, inner drive might look like when it's unbalanced, right? Is I I have to keep doing more and I have to be better and I have to fix this and fix that, which is very overwhelming to feel like I'm never on top of fixing everything that's wrong with me. Right. So it's, it's a very disempowering place to be. And so when I work with clients around this, a lot of it is giving yourself permission Because many Mm -hmm. times the call's coming from inside the house (laughs) that who is saying you're not good enough in this area or that you need to be better because we make up these stories about, uh, oh, I need to learn Facebook ads, or I'll have a lot of clients who come to me and say, well, I need to learn analytics. And so we'll dig into that a little bit. Like who said, did you get feedback in a performance review? Has a boss mentioned this to you? Are you seeing colleagues work on this skill set? And when you get into it, it's just something that somehow got into their head. Mm -hmm. It's not something that they're going to use in their job now, where that would really be a big part of it in the future. It's just, it would be nice to have. And so it's even questioning whose voice is is this? Where did I pick up this story, this obligation from? Because many times they're they're made up narratives that we're putting on ourselves.
0: Beautifully said. Melody, I've had such an incredible time talking to you and diving into this and you know, again, this is just a small percentage of all the gems that are in your book, trust yourself. And I want to ask, you know, I always end with a couple of questions. And so the first one being, what is your definition of an unapologetic woman? And the second one being, who has been that for you?
1: My definition of an unapologetic woman is one who can pronounce it. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Um, Is, is someone who owns who she is without shaming herself. And I think, especially as, as women, especially as sensitive striver Mm -hmm. women, that we already have enough of that coming from outside. We don't need to pile on with it too. If you want other people to believe in you, you have to be the one to believe in yourself first.
0: Oh, wow. Well said.
1: Second question. Remind me again. Who has that been for you? The first person that comes to mind is my mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she is just, she has the biggest heart that I have ever of anyone I've ever met Mm -hmm. ever before. She is so strong. She is so resilient. She has been through so much in her life and she has handled, you know, when I was younger, she worked multiple, multiple jobs. She also helped run our family business businesses at one point was helping to raise me she is just she's my superwoman and I mm-hmm. have learned and just wish and hope I can be half the woman that she is.
0: Wow, that's really sweet. And you know, I feel like it's really interesting whenever I ask this question to guests, I would say like 70 70% of the time it's always their moms. And yeah. there is something very special about how, you know, the way that our moms are our first role models and the way that they, you know, carry themselves with grace, especially with all the challenges that comes So thank you, Melody, for spending so much time with me today and for giving such beautiful, beautiful insight to what a sensitive striver is and to look at it from an empowerment place and not from a place of weakness or a victim. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to tell everybody where they can get Trust Yourself, when it's coming out. You know, I've already read the book and it's fantastic. (laughs) I'm praising it to everyone. I've actually told my clients to get it. So you yeah, know, I'd love Thank for them you. to know how to connect with you and where can they get trust yourself?
1: Thank you so much. You can get the book anywhere uh, books are sold specifically. You can go to Amazon or you can go to melodywilding.com backslash book. And we have all of the retailers for different countries listed there. So you can find it right there. And if you want to connect with me further, I'm at melodywilding.com
0: or melodywilding on any social media channels. Thank you, Melody. And I hope everyone who's listening is on Amazon right now clicking uh, to get it because (laughs) I also know how important pre-launch is and, you know, to make something successful. But beyond that, you know, I'll say it again and again, the work that Melody does and I do, it's very similar. And, Mm -hmm. but I really look up to Melody because the work that she's been doing for years is just really honed in on that one person who tends to be in the quiet side, who doesn't really show that, you know, even if you show that you're strong, that you're maybe hurting inside and how you're hurting yourself. And this is a great book to help you really empower yourself. So thank you, Melody, for being here. And I am so excited to see everything that comes with this book for you. Thank you so much for having me. It was amazing. Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at pileberry. DM me to let me know, I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your next epiphany.